Welcome to the Service Management Leadership Podcast with Jeffrey Tiefertiller. Hello, everyone. This is Jeffrey Tiefertiller back with another Service Management Leadership Podcast. We welcome Stephen Olick to the show. Stephen is Director of IT Service Management Office and Deputy CIO at the Second Theater Signal Bridge of the U.S. Army. Stephen, how are you? Doing great, Jeffrey. How are you doing? I'm well. I'm excited. Uh, so Stephen is uh, the Director of IT Service Management and Deputy CIO for the Second Theater Signal Brigade in the U.S. Army. And so think about all the corporate America people we've had on this. Now we have somebody that's in supporting the CIO function for the U.S. Army. Totally different, 90% the same, but they, we'll delve into some of the questions that are subtle differences. So how'd you get on this career path of going to the Army? Yeah, so I've been a career government civilian since college. Um, right out of college, I got recruited by um, a non-Army agency that uh, gave me an opportunity to come in. And interestingly enough, it was not an IT career field up front. Um, I was doing quality assurance for, uh, for the DOD on acquisitions. And, um, you know, my, my major, my background has always been in IT, uh, specifically computer science and software. So I've always had that in the back of my head as my passion area. So my career ultimately led me down that more software focused um, mindset and opportunity. But I was always still on the business side or the functional side of the agency I worked for. Um, fast forward to about three and a half years ago, I got an opportunity to come over to the army and um, take, the, take a similar position where I'm at today, doing somewhat like uh, knowledge management, service request management, uh, a little bit of kind of KM, well, I said KM, but uh, service level management, and some problem and change. So um, it was my first indoctrination about that time. And from about three and a half years ago to now, I've drank the ITIL Kool-Aid and I've become ITIL version three expert certified. Not that that means much out there for our listeners, but I would say on a day-to-day -day basis, the goodness of taking those classes and getting the cert is I've been able to bring it back and kind of adopt the mindset and, and try and drive that culture home. So, you know, about uh, 11 months ago, I took this job and I'm in now the director of our IT service management office, which is kind of a relatively new organization when you talk about typical army constructs. So not saying that we've had to find our way in the world, but it's it's definitely been an opportunity to kind of sell what an ITSMO could do, not only to the Army, but to an organization. That's awesome. So yeah. what's it like being a civilian supporting the Army? And I say that because we'll get into this, but you mentioned service level management. Think about business customers are the same, different, you know, those of us that worked in, uh, Corporate America, you know, we think of vice president, president, CIO, you know, the C level. You have people with with bars and stripes on on their uh, <laughs> uniform saying, "I understand what your process is, but this yeah. is what I want." So, what's it like? So it's it's different every day, and I, I don't want to say it's like an it depends, but some days, you know, that rank actually matters when we're talking about making a decision. 
Um, there could be some command emphasis. That's kind of a terminology that uh, gets thrown around where tomorrow, you know, there is a, a mission critical decision that needs to be made that could affect, you know, loss of life, loss of property, loss of whatever. And those are the hard decisions that unfortunately we can't go through a nice, you know, flowed ITIL kind of methodology where it's, I wouldn't say it's a waterfall approach, but where you're taking a requirement, going through a design to transition process, um, you just have to kind of take a lot of risk. But conversely to that, and that's where the ITSMO and what our office is trying to do is grow the culture of, hey, we really can align ourselves to what the business um, wants to be like in the Army. And, you know, you said it earlier, the business in the Army isn't really typically what, you know, our, our private sector kind of cohorts would say, our business is that warfighter half the time um, and others. You know, we do support other army entities. We support uh, what we call combatant commands that are kind of a joint service. So they could have some army, Navy, Air Force. Um, it's every day is kind of a new day. I, I love it. It's, it's really interesting because every day there's always a new problem to solve and trying to get to a yes. And I think that's the final ITSMO value proposition, not only to the army, but to the government. A lot of times, and I'm sure you've noticed when you have to take advantage of army service, or not army services, but uh, government services, DMV, taxes, it's usually a no up front, and then you have to kind of find the justification to get to a yes. We're flipping that on its head and trying to get to a yes earlier to see if there is any kind of course of action that can get you the IT service that you require, the problem statement that you're trying to solve. And if we really can't do it, you know, we don't just say no. There are other avenues, but we, uh, we have that process as well, so. It's an escalation pass. So you mentioned your ITIL V3 uh, expert. I am too, and I haven't gone through the, the transition to ITIL 4. What's your plans on that? Are you, is that something you're actively thinking about or is it backburnered right now? No, it's absolutely on my mind because I know it's not because of the period of uh, time that they're going to have the bridge course available, but it's also about like right now, ITIL 4 is so new and we have an opportunity to, to not forget and throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak, with version 3, um, you know, with the processes now to practices and the phased approach with design or strategy design transition operations. It's a more of a, a different kind of constellation architecture of, of practice and then more of that value stream that isn't really professed in version three. I personally want to take it. Um, it's something that I've identified. Um, it just comes down to resourcing like anything and uh, looking for those vendors that are teaching it, which I know for those out there that are in the service management field, more and more seem to be coming online that are teaching that um, kind of bridge opportunity if you have the expert cert. So I would say if, if you're thinking about it and you have the expert, go for it and get it done. Yeah, managing professional transition, I think what yeah. it is. But um, all right, so you're in this world of service management and you've, you've adopted and how'd you get on this journey? I say this journey, because all of us in the service management field we didn't, we weren't born here. We didn't come out and say, you know, I really want to deal with change management or <laughs> knowledge management all my career. That's my What are you core. talking about? This is the sexy part of IT. This is the business of paper, we say. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell anybody. Then there'll be a lot in the, in the pool. But, you know, sure. uh, I, I say that sarcastically only because it's the part 
that most hardcore IT people don't want any part of. You know, the, you mentioned paper. They're like, oh, not another change request or an incident. So how'd you get on this journey? So for me, the, the beauty, and that's why I kind of led earlier, I came from the mission or functional side of the organization I worked for. I did not come up through IT as a technician or a desktop support person or a network manager or some kind of operations, you know, making sure lights are blinking and ones and zeros are flowing. I came from the business and I came with that mindset that IT should be enabling my job and making it more efficient, effective, better through process tool technology, which I know you're a big proponent of. So when I made this natural progression into the actual IT organization, um, I came with that same philosophy that IT is supposed to help and not hinder. And then secondly, IT is not supposed to be the necessary evil that we have to throw you know, the millions of dollars at to buy the shiny toy and then solve a problem after it's thrown over the fence to the business. It is a co-development and co-created process, which I know, you know, it's foot stopping ITIL 4, right? It's, it's sitting down with those, those stakeholders because the IT is there for the business. They're not there to, to be a self-looking ice cream cone. And that's, that to me is, I'm gonna wear it on my sleeve until I'm done kind of working in my career. And I think a lot of people are open to that mindset. And that's something that, um, you know, as I grow teams that I put together and talk with people and work, if we can get that right and we're very clear about that together, um, really the sky's the limit about changing the culture, not only in the Army, but just with IT service management. All right. So you gave me a phrase I had not heard before, but I'm stealing it. I'm telling everybody I'm stealing it. IT sure. is not a self-licking ice cream cone. I Take love it. it. Take it, put it on a banner right behind you. That'd be great. <laughs> I love that because it's true that, you know, I think of IT and the business five years from now, 10 years from now, whatever company or brigade or army, whatever, it's going to be a marriage. You know, it's not a, a partnership. It's going to be a marriage. We share, we uh, share a checkbook. We share visions and goals. We, we share constraints and expenses. It's going to be a marriage. And uh, so I, I really appreciate that. So what does service management in the Army look like? I mean, that's a uh, loaded question. So I apologize if it's too loaded. Yeah, I mean, I'll keep it on the, on the 50,000 foot level. So um, the Army, well, I'll start with the DOD because that's kind of my branch of the, of the, of the government. So the DOD actually has an enterprise service management framework that was well thought out uh, about a decade ago with the really smart kind of systems engineers and you know the people that were kind of thinking ahead. If you, if you remember, version three came about about the same time, about 2011. So in my opinion, this was before my time. They, they really had identified that this was a strategic thing that the DOD really needed to get around that you know we should have end-to-end -end processes that overlap with one another and then also bringing in the different services uh, of themselves with IT investments and portfolio management and service management and all, you know, just all of that thing. And then ultimately leading to well-defined services with service targets that are clear to any user that's out there. And we're not duplicating efforts across the board. That's a lot of information there. Um, the, the, good, the goodness of all of that was the Army also took that service management framework built their flavor of it called the Army Enterprise Service Management Framework. So 
that's kind of like how we plug in today. And that framework defines out most of the processes you would find in version three. Um, I have to believe that they're going to be revisiting the whole idea now that four is out and, you know, other service management entities of the army are now looking at service management, such as HR, facilities, security, other things like that. So they're all looking at similar type processes and platforms. And then you said it earlier, the marriage aspect, I think IT is going to start integrating more with those. And that's where we are today and probably where we're going to be going in the future. Oh yes. And, and you and I talked beforehand and similar thoughts. IT service management is not a tool centric view, right? We, we kind of prop up our tools, but it's a, uh, how do we get these outcomes and tools are part of that, those ingredients. What, if you can tell me the, what ITSM tool set do you, or tool sets do you use? Sure. So, I mean, the main tool that we are using today is BMC Remedy. Um, it's the tool of choice for the past, you know, as, as far as I know, the past decade plus, um, basically since that came into existence. Um, we all know the other competitors that are out there. Um, today, that's where we're at. Um, it's where we're all in at. And I feel like there's a lot of opportunity there. We are using many of the components of that system today um, to align you know, specifically our CIs and assets to the incidents and problem and change, and then ultimately having a predefined catalog there so that we can grow that tier zero or self-help kind of capability. So um, I, I might sound like we're really mature in all this. I, we always have opportunities for improvement like any organization. So um, the ones I mentioned out loud are pretty much where we're all in today, um, looking for, for added kind of collaboration and uh, integration there. And it's hard. Everybody, no matter what organization you're, you're at, and you've, tell you, you've gone through all the process maturity assessments through the whole, the whole spectrum, no matter where you're at, you always have opportunities for improvement. And I say that because I've seen a lot. I've seen some who thought they were mature. And then as you start peeling back the layers of the onion, you're like, um, um we have some opportunities for growth here especially yeah. when you talk about integrating with our business customers aligning one of my pet peeves is aligning what we're doing with what the corporate vision is make sure those are aligned and what our business customers need because we don't want any wasted effort we don't want any you know we want everything to be in sync and so which leads me to my next question who is your business customer in the army? I think of it, is it some guy in a squadron, wherever they, or a, you know, army battalion or brigade, wherever they are, you know, in the world, are they your customer or is there a chain of command? I, I assume it's yes. much yes different. And yes, Jeffrey. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right on both counts. So we have the soldiers that are out there, um, either on a post baser camp, in our area of responsibility or kind of out there in the far reaching, you know, uh, vicinities of our, where our network touches today. And they're doing typical request fulfillment processes, ordering from our, um, you know, our, our capability either through the, through the site that we have or calling our service desk. And then we also have the more internal stakeholders and customers, you know, internal to our organization that we service. And then those process managers and owners of the said capability, 
that we deliver. And then we also have the chain of command. You know, we have an, we have a, they call it in the, in the military, an operational controlled alignment and opcon. And we are controlled by, you know, a certain uh, organization inside of the army that does direct us and give us that guidance and direction pretty much on a day-to-day -day basis. So they're also going to be throwing requirements at us and they're, you know, to equate it to what a, a, a private organization would be, like their technology roadmap of where the next five to 10 years is going to look. And we have to be sensitive to that and not look only internal to ourselves. So we're trying to align more to that. Um, we also have customers that are not officially part of the army that we also have to align to, be sensitive to what they're thinking and, and kind of have on their mindsets and what the optics of the current environment look like. Um, you know, we've all seen recently, and this is, you know, public uh, knowledge, you know, our current president's looking at different strategies with where we are uh, pre-positioned across the globe. You know, that's driving big conversations across the government. So, you know, that's just where my office and other of our stakeholders are trying to, to plug in and be very, um, knowledgeable, number one, and then be proactive and be at the table with them as they're having these conversations. So what I heard you say, and I'm going to repeat it just to make sure I'm right. So the Army has a service catalog, and there's a, a central point of entry like it should be, and I'm giving it kudos, right? But the Army is vast. It's spread out over continents, different chains of command, right? And you have this the central entry point. Is this right? How does it get that request? You know, Joe out in the field needs Microsoft Visio. How does how does that all happen? I, I pull that out because that's always the mundane request. You yeah. So I would say the Army's done a really good job. Uh, one of the really good things they've done, they have created a, an, an, a service desk, a worldwide service desk for any Army customer that's out there. It's a generic 800 number that they're able to call, and there's a generic portal that they go to. Um, we have disparate service desks as well, depending on where you are on the globe, but there is the one kind of service desk to rule them all, which really is at intake. And then to your point about the catalog, that exists today as a, um, I hate to say it out loud, but a PDF, but at least it's a document that's baselined, and there are provisions inside of it for every army person on the globe and then per theater. So European theater, Pacific theater, Southwest Asian theater, and then the continental United States theater. And it gets into kind of the one offer uniquenesses of those service levels that are available. And then different processes. If you had something that was, you know, to use our terminology, mission funded or above baseline, this is who you contact and how you go about ordering said service. So that's where we're at. I would never apologize about the PDF because the parts that the part where us in corporate America don't appreciate is if we put all of the stuff in a catalog that was accessible, then you're going to have security concerns because of who all can access it. Think about the identity and access management <laughs> nightmare there. Or, I mean, so I wouldn't apologize. I would just say, you know, that's an opportunity because always. As you take that step forward, you're like, uh-oh, we could take 20 steps forward from there. All right. So service level management has to be a, another interesting topic because, you know, we have people out in the field that do very important things. 
you know, I think of the tank commander. I think of the people behind that, that monitor all this special stuff. Don't want to, you know, I don't need to get into that. Sure. But they, they have, some of them have some pretty special service levels. Because, you know, those of us at corporate America, there's this concierge for the, the VPs, the VIPs or the C-level. Yours has to be a total different ball game in terms of just blowing up, making our heads explode with, uh, you know, the rank and all that service sure. level stuff. Yeah, so, you know, we do have kind of what you just alluded to, you know, our VIPs that are in our, um, our different regions, if you will. Um, some of them have true communications teams that are with them 24-7, 365, making sure they're taken care of. Um, and then we also have the customer that, you know, requests maybe a piece of software that's not identified as baseline. Um, there is a process usually internal to their organization to capture the funding, um, generate some kind of a, a change evaluation so that it's on the approved products list and we have different subject matter experts that look at those kind of requests. Um, and then it gets into also, you know, I mentioned it earlier, we support, you know, the army directly, but we also support these combatant commands, these, um, you know, joint entities and, it gets a little bit outside of what you would think of like an SLA, a service level agreement. Um, we have things called memorandums of agreements that on echelon are signed at those higher levels of uh, command with the, you know, the three and the four stars on the shoulder. And all we, uh, all we do from an ITSMO perspective is number one, facilitate the process, make sure requirements are clear, bring those stakeholders together, and then negotiate and we're always in the middle of keeping kind of that authoritative source live and current and then also being the kind of the, the source of truth if you will if we do get into a, a, dis, a you know a disagreement on this should be baseline or this isn't baseline or this should cost this much or this should cost that much we can be the referee at the end of the day half the time um, with a caveat because i talked about it earlier about the opcon relationship Sometimes our agreement is an order, and that is a real thing in the military that I'm sure you can assume, you know, soldiers learn to take orders, just like organizations like ours learn to take orders, and sometimes that's what we have to do. It's just that important, there's enough command emphasis on it, and uh, it becomes the highest priority, and we just do it, you know, quote unquote, out of hide. So um, it's very gray and squishy service level management. But of all of our processes that we really like to say that we're uh, becoming more mature in, it's probably the one that I believe that we're doing the best at of, of the handful I believe that we're good and uh, the ones that are the most reliable and repeatable. So when you say taking orders, I think that goes right back to the marriage analogy earlier, but that's a different yeah. story. It all depends on who pays your, uh, who pays your paycheck, right? Exactly. <laughs> And so, you know, all of that. And I also think of like change, right? You know, somebody's going to say, you're sitting in this post change review, post implementation review, and some guy was, you know, with a shoulder full of ornaments and bars and stars everywhere, right? And they're going to say, what happened, fellas? You really hurt me out in the field. My people were constrained in this manner. I mean, my head just goes, and I apologize if I said anything that was wrong about people, you know, where the bars and stars are, but I just can imagine sitting in those meetings and somebody saying, 
guys, you got to do better next time because you really hurt our capabilities to do X when this change went south. Well, that, I mean, you're, you're highlighting the next kind of value statement of our ITSMO team, and it's ensuring that the changes that do come through, we're trying to drive as many standard changes as we can first. And then secondly, sometimes we have to take risk and either introduce the hardware, software, piece of hardware, you know, the, the component on the network and take the risk and then do a latent change and make sure the documentation's up. And then, you know, the Army is really good about what we call after-action reviews or you to use an agile term, a retrospective. Um, that's the time to come together, non-emotionally, just talk about what was supposed to happen, what actually did happen, you know, what should we do better differently, and then kind of the sustains or what did we do really well. So that's why I love kind of the ITIL construct and what its most and ITSM can do is it always has a yes. I mean, it does get contentious. Don't, don't let me, you know, dissuade you and our listeners. Um, it, there's always that opportunity there. But we want to be more open-ended and, and more flexible versus the, the more rigidness that you can imagine the traditional maybe military or DOD has always been. Yeah. And don't, don't take that rigidity. That's everywhere, you know. Right. Yeah. So COVID is everywhere. It's a five letter word added to our vernacular this year, 2020. I don't think we'll ever remember this year without the word COVID somewhere intertwined. So how's that changed or altered your service management organization, how you do things, that sort of thing? So it's, it's been the leadership challenge of the day. Um, and it's, to me, it's always been the, the silver lining that it truly emphasized our gaps and our, our, you know, you've talked about business continuity before. Um, it, it truly flexed us in that world like we've never been. You know, who would have ever thought of a pandemic of this scale literally bringing things to a, a halt from a, coming together in, a, in an office setting? Um, luckily, our team has been very telework friendly. We've had a lot of our systems kind of available to us. We, we have mo mobile kind of capabilities with our laptops and phones and things and our virtual private network, at least when we first went into kind of our quarantine status with people being home, uh, was good. But, you know, there's always opportunities and I, that's what I always hit on. And, you know, our VPN infrastructure had to be looked at. Our, um, our network latency and availability had to be looked at our configuration and patching capability had to be looked at. So through all of that, which was painful, like most things are, we've come on top and, you know, now we've actually relooked at how do we want to operate from a, from a people and process perspective. The technology to me is sound now. And those are the big questions and answers that we're, uh, that we're kind of wrapping our arms around because you know, the art of the possible is endless now. We don't have to put ourselves in that same box as before. And that's where I'm at. I'm, I'm trying to profess that every day that we're, at, we're back at work. You know, with the, when I hear from a leader, I want you back in the office. I need to see you back in the building. I always say, okay, so I love what you're saying. What's the problem you're trying to solve? Can we think about this differently? So that's what COVID's done for us personally. Um, we're still functional. We're still doing things like uh, we would normally. And I believe we're still getting after the mission, so. Yeah, two things I heard you say, though, is that it's giving you a new uh, perspective, starting point, par paradigm, whatever you want to say about going forward, right? Yeah, I mean, it's removed some constraints. 
And the, the second part is that, and this has been my view of COVID, okay? And it's a lot of negative and we all get it. But most of the problems we see today are just magnified or amplified from what existed before. And uh, I don't want to put you on the spot or any of that stuff or ask you to respond, but that's just been my view. You know, in, in America, the school systems and dealing with technology, it's just shown a magnifying glass and said, here's your problems. Now they're bigger. And, For sure. The technology know, debt was there the whole time and it's come to light like most things do when you get stressed. So, <laughs> oh, yeah. And so they're not necessarily new problems. They're just making your old problems look huge. And they yeah. are now. All right. So now you get a hypothetical question, hypothetical question. You get a blank check to invest in your service management organization. How do you use those resources? What do you think, hey, this brings a lot of value. We wanna make sure that we get a bang for our buck doing X. How would you spend it? So just to be very blunt up front, I think knowledge management is where I would put every dime and every dollar into. And that's not only from the tool perspective, but from the process and then the training and the people aspect. I think today, the one area that everybody, they, they, they always want is a phone number to call for help and to put tickets in. And I'm a big believer in self-help and building out knowledge articles and you know the chat kind of capabilities that could exist with the with the bot technology that's out there and then giving people the freedom to find the solution to their own problem or or, or you know request um we have a platform today that that gives that capability but it could just be so much more and you know a problem or an opportunity for our organization specifically is our turnover rates relatively high so as people come in and out of our organization, that knowledge transfer is just not happening. And I believe if we really wanted to get serious about continuity, um, you know, with COVID, you know, there's a perfect example of that. All these lessons learned that we just went through, I don't want them to become number one shelfware where it just sits there and collects dust. Or secondly, the good idea came and went and we all forgot about it because it was, you know, in someone's head and not put into a nice document or a nice capability, Google-like, if you will, that someone could just get in there and see what the solution could be or see similar kind of aspects of a, of a similar problem or request. So oh, yeah. to me, we would get so much bang for our buck if we just went all in on KM, built out that self-help, that tier zero kind of capability, and then also divest ourselves of a service desk with people manning a phone and let them get after other areas like problem and have a true kind of incident team or some kind of a, you know, just a one-off, I think problem management, secondly, that's another area, but um, KM for sure. Those two pay for themselves. Most people are, don't realize it, but those, if you invest into something that I can look up myself as a user or a password reset tool, you know, through knowledge or whatever, it yeah. saves me on my dollars of having to take calls. And it's the same thing that you get from level one, level two, level three. You know, even if you just equipped your level one call uh, service desk, help desk, to take all the twos and threes, you're saving a lot of money. And so it's just getting those thought people to think in that, that way. And I'm a huge knowledge management uh, proponent. It came out in our conversation with Stephanie Warren a few weeks ago. And uh, 
it's just one of those things that I think pays dividends, especially for you. And I don't, I mean this very much uh, kindly, you younger folk that grew up on Google, right? I mean, people look, it's not the older people that grew up with a phone book trying to find somebody's phone number or address, you know, now it's, it's accessible on our phones. We go Google it. Hey, where's this located? We go Google it, right? And uh, we have to invest in that thought process because 10 years from now, it's even going to be more so. And uh, anyway, that's my soapbox for today. Stephen, yeah, I love the soapbox. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> it's room for two. Stephen, thank you. Stephen Olick. Thank you for joining us too uh, on this uh, call and on this podcast. We've enjoyed the conversation. Everybody connect with Stephen. We thank you once again, Stephen. Uh, thanks, Jeffrey. Appreciate it. Uh, love what you're trying to do with your organization and just promoting service management. Uh, we talked about it. I want to see this community grow. I'll do the best that I can to kind of profess this information, share it, uh, reshare it, retweet it, all that good stuff. So uh, keep doing what you do, and I'll be uh, one of your biggest supporters and first followers for sure. Thank you very much. Have a great day, everybody. We'll be back with Jeffrey's closing thoughts. Hello, everyone. This is Jeffrey, and I'm back with today's closing thoughts. We appreciate Stephen Olick for being on our, our podcast, our show today. It was a great conversation. And as usual, I usually have two or three points. And today I have three points I want to just follow up and tidy up. Number one, when you heard Stephen describe service management within the U.S. Army, it looks the same as corporate America, doesn't it? We still have business customers, we still have a service desk, and we have to understand the, the business needs so that the service management office can help facilitate those needs on behalf of IT. And so no matter where you, what type of organization, big, small, government or private, it's all the same. Number two, knowledge management is huge. It's a great investment regardless of the type of organization. We mentioned it with Stephanie Warren. We mentioned it before on other topics. Knowledge management is a key. And lastly, number three, you notice how Stephen mentioned problem management. Another big one for us, we talked to Steve Heyman several weeks ago. He's the problem management VP of Bank of America, and he talked about how they can help save the organization money by reducing the impact and frequency of incidents. That's what we want to do. And so regardless whether you are the U.S. Army and you have people of all rank and file scattered throughout the, the world, U.S., other continents, no matter if you're that or you're some mom and pop organization that thinks, you know, service management sounds like a great idea or you're this monster conglomerate, it's all the same. And I wanna encourage that lens as you think of service management. We thank you for watching or listening to our show and we hope you have a great, great day. And thank you once again to Stephen.